Hi, and welcome to Sleep Tight Relax. A short message for grown-ups. If you get value from our podcast and would like to support the work we do, please consider subscribing to Sleep Tight Premium. You'll get access to all episodes of the Sleep Tight Relax and Sleep Tight Stories podcasts ad-free and to other subscriber-only content, including bonus episodes, guided meditations, and long, dialogue-free sleep sounds. That's four sleep stories a week, plus our popular music and soundscape episodes. Please visit sleeptightpremium.com to subscribe or follow the link in our show notes. Thank you. Hi there. This is Cheryl, and welcome to this episode of Sleep Tight Relax, sounds, music, and stories for calming, busy minds. In this episode, I am going to share part four of the Campfire Girls of Roselawn. Jessie and Amy are going out to look for wild strawberries in this episode, but they run into some problems when they are out. Now, let's do our short sleep time routine. Let's start by making sure we have everything we need to be comfortable. The lights are turned down. There are no distractions. No notifications that will interrupt you. You have positioned your pillows or a teddy or your other little comforts. Everything should feel just right. Let's try taking some deep belly breaths. Pretend you have a nice smelling flower in one hand and a slow burning candle in the other. This time, breathe in slowly through your nose as if you are smelling a flower. Now, breathe out slowly through your mouth as if you are blowing out a candle. Remember to take your time and take big belly breaths. Let's repeat this a few times. 
Breathe in slowly through your nose. And slowly out through your mouth. In through your nose. And out through your mouth. as long as you feel comfortable. I hope you enjoy this sleep story and have a deep and restful sleep. Campfire Girls, Part 4 Of course, Jesse Norwood and Amy Drew did not spend all their time over the radio set in Jesse's room. At least, they did not do so after the first two or three days. There was not much the girls cared to hear being broadcasted before late afternoon, so they soon got back to normal. Not being obliged to get off to school every day but Saturday and Sunday had made new opportunities for new interests. Or, if they are not new, Amy said decisively, we haven't worn them out. Do you think we shall wear out the radio? Asked Jessie, laughing. I don't see how the air can be worn out, and the radio stuff certainly comes through the air. What is this revived interest that you want to take up? Canoe. Let's take a lunch and paddle away down to the end of the lake. There are just wonderful flowers there. And one of the girls said that her brothers were over by the abandoned Carter place and found some wild strawberries. Oh, I love them, confessed Jessie. Better than George Washington's Sundays, agreed her chum. Shall we go? I'll run and tell Mumsy. She can play with my radio while we are gone, said Jessie, and she went downstairs to find her mother. I'll tell you what, said Amy, as with their paddles, the girls wound their way down to the little boathouse and landing. Won't it be great if they ever get pocket radios? Pocket radios? 
exclaimed Jessie. I mean, what the man said in the magazine article we read in the first place. Don't you remember? About carrying some kind of condensed receiving set in one's pocket. A receiving and a broadcasting set, too. Oh, but that is a dream. I don't know, rejoined Amy, who had become a thorough radio convert by this time. It is not so far in advance, perhaps. I see one man has invented an umbrella aerial receiving thing, what you may call it. An umbrella? gasped Jesse. Yes, he opens it and points it in the direction of the broadcasting station he is tuned to. Then he connects the little radio set, clamps on his head harness, and listens in. It sounds almost impossible. Of course, he doesn't get the sounds very loud, but he hears. He can go off in his automobile and take it all with him. Lake Monoset was not a wide body of water. Bird had said it was only as wide as two hoots and a holler. Bird had spent a few weeks in the Tennessee mountains once and had brought back some rather strange expressions from the people there. Lake Monoset was several miles long. The head of it was in Roselawn at one side of the Norwood estate and almost touched the edge of Bonwit Boulevard. It was bordered by trees for almost the entire length on both sides, and it was shaped like an enormous, elongated comma. There were rose hedges down here, too, and as the two girls pushed out from the landing, the breath of summer air that followed them out upon the lake was heavy with the scent of June roses. The girls were dressed in such boating costumes that gave them the very freest movement, and they both used the paddle skillfully. The roomy canoe, if not built for grade speed, certainly was built for as much comfort as could be expected in such a craft. Jessie was in the bow and Amy at the stern. They quickly got into step, as Amy called it, and their paddles literally plied the lake as one. Faster and faster the canoe sped on and very soon they rounded the wooded tongue of land that hid all the long length of the lower end of the lake. Dogtown is the only blot on the landscape, panted Amy after a while. It stands there right where the brook empties into the lake and it is not pretty. Phew. What are you panting for, Amy? demanded her chum. For breath, of course, said Amy. Phew, you are setting an awfully fast pace, Jess. I believe you are out of shape, Amy, 
declared Jesse seriously. It is not so, but I did eat an awfully big breakfast. The strawberries were so good, and the waffles. Yet you insisted on bringing a great shoebox of lunch, said her friend. Not a great big shoebox, please. My own shoes came in it, and I haven't enormously big feet, complained Amy, but we must slow down. Just to let you admire Dogtown, I suppose, said Jessie, laughing. Well, it is a sight. Hmm, I wonder what became of that freckle-faced young one. I wonder if she found her cousin, added Jessie. That was strange, for that child to go hunting through the neighborhood after a girl. What was her name? Bertha? Yes, and I have been thinking since then, Amy, that we should have asked little Henrietta some more questions. Little Henrietta, murmured Amy. How funny. Never mind that, Jessie flung back over her shoulder and still breathing easily as she set a slower stroke. What I have been thinking about is that other girl. The lost girl, Bertha? No, no, or perhaps yes, yes, laughed Jessie. But I mean that girl we saw in the motor car. You surely remember, Amy. Oh, that girl, my. Yes, I should say I did remember her. But what has that to do with little Henrietta? And they call her Hen, she added, chuckling. I have been thinking that perhaps the girl Henrietta was looking for was the girl we saw. <gasps> Jess Norwood, do you suppose so? I don't know whether I suppose so or not, laughed Jessie. But I think if I ever see that child again, I shall question her more closely. The canoe touched the grassy bank at the edge of the old Carter Place at the far end of the lake just before noon. Picnic parties often used the ruin of the old house in which to sup. It was a shelter at least. I've got to eat, I've got to eat, proclaimed Amy the moment she disembarked. Actually, I'm so hungry I feel hollow. Jessie laughed. Where's the sun gone? Suddenly demanded Amy, looking up and then turning around to look over the water. Why, I didn't notice those clouds. It is going to shower, Amy. It is going to thunder and lightning, too. And Amy looked a little disturbed. I confess that I do not like a thunderstorm. Let us drop the canoe and turn it over. Keep the inside of it dry. And we'll take the cushions up to the old house, added Jessie, briskly throwing the contents of the canoe out onto the bank. Ugh, I don't fancy going into the house, said Amy. Why not? 
The old place is kind of spooky. Oh no, how black those clouds are, oh. That was a sharp flash, Jesse, let's run. Ah, dear me, wailed Amy, hurrying ahead. And those strawberries we came for? I am afraid I shall not have enough to eat without them. The thunder growled behind them. Amy quickened her steps. As she had said, she shuddered at the thought of having to wait in the old abandoned house, but it could not be as fearsome as the approaching storm. On the broken porch of the abandoned house, Amy stopped and waited for her friend to overtake her. When she looked back, she cried out again. Forked lightning blazed against the lurid clouds. It was so sharp a display of electricity that Amy shut her eyes. Jessie, still laughing, plunged up the stairs and bumped right into the sagging door. It swung inward, creakingly. Amy peered over her friend's shoulder. Oh, do you see anything? Nothing, not even a rat. Nothing at all moving. Jessie proceeded to march into the rather dark kitchen. Here's a table and some benches. You know Miss Alistair's Sunday school class picnicked here last year. Oh, I've been here a dozen times, confessed Amy. Jessie put down the things she had brought up from the lakeside and now turned back to look out of the open door. Oh, Amy, it's coming. There was a crash of thunder and then the rain began drumming on the roof of the porch. Jessie looked out. The clearing around the house had darkened speedily. A sheet of rain came drifting across the lake toward the hill on which the house stood. Do shut the door, Jessie, begged Amy Drew. How ridiculous, Jessie said again. You can't shut the windows. There. Another lightning flash blinded the girls and the thunder following fairly deafened them for the moment. But Jessie did not leave her post in the doorway. Something at the edge of the clearing, some rods away, at the verge of the thick wood, had impressed itself on Jessie's sight just as the lightning flashed. Come away, come away, Jessie Norwood, shrieked Amy. Come here commanded Jessie. Look, don't be foolish. See that thing moving down there by the woods? Is it a human being or an animal? Oh, Jessie, I don't know, murmured Amy. You are being so silly, said Jessie. But her curiosity overcame her fears sufficiently for her to join Jessie at the doorway. Through the falling rain, the friends were sure that something was moving down by the woods. It's a dog, said Amy after a moment. It's a child, declared Jessie with conviction. I saw its face. Yes, it is a child, and it's getting most awfully wet. 
wait, wait, the girl from Roselawn cried. Don't run away from me. She started running towards the woods. Whether the child heard and understood her or not, it gave evidence of being greatly frightened. She covered her face with her hands and sank down on the wet sod, while the rain beat upon her unmercifully. There was no shelter here, and Jessie Norwood herself was getting thoroughly wet. In a calm moment that followed, the child piped without taking down her hands. Are, are you a ghost? What a question, gasped Jessie and seized the crouching figure by the shoulder. Do I feel like a ghost? Why, it's Henrietta. The hands dropped from the freckled face and the little girl stared. Goodness. I seen you before. You are the nice girl. You ain't no ghost. But you are sopping wet. Come up to the house at once, child. I don't think I can. Come on, child, said Jessie encouragingly. I am getting wet myself. But little Henrietta hung back stubbornly. I don't know. I heard stories about this place. Come along. We have some nice lunch, said Jessie quickly. You'll forget all about the silly stories when you are helping us eat that. This invitation and prospect overcame her fear, and she began to trot willingly by Jessie's side. But already the rain had saturated the girl from Roselawn, as well as the child from Dogtown. Two more bedrabbled persons I never saw, exclaimed Amy when they arrived upon the porch. Do come in. There is wood here and we can make a fire on the hearth. You can take off that skirt, Jess, and get it dry. And this poor little thing, well, she looks as though she ought to be peeled to the skin if we are ever to get her dry. She hustled Henrietta into the house, but kindly. She even knelt down beside her and unfastened her dress after lightening the fire. Henrietta flinched every time there was lightning. Say, said the wandering Henrietta hoarsely, I'm just as dirty as I was the other day. You don't have to touch me. Oh, dear me, cried Amy. This child is never going to forgive me for that. Won't you like me a little, Henrietta? Not as much as that other one, said the freckle-faced girl, frankly. Jessie, who was taking off her own outer garments to hang before the now roaring fire, only laughed at that. Tell us, she said, why do you think your cousin was carried off? The lady she lived with was awful mad when she came to Foley's looking for Bertha. She said she'd put Bertha where she couldn't run for a while. That's what she said. Oh, my dear, exclaimed Amy suddenly. Do you suppose... Child, did you see the woman who came to your house? Foley's house? I ain't got a house. 
declared Henrietta. Well, to Mrs. Foley's house in a big maroon automobile, finished Amy. No, didn't come in a car at all. She came on foot, did she? She said Bertha was silly to run away, and she looked mad, concluded the observant Henrietta. Oh, exclaimed Amy again. Was she dark and thin and waspish looking? Who? asked the child, staring. The woman who asked for Bertha, explained Jessie, quite as eagerly as her chum. She wasn't no wasp, drawled Henrietta with indescribable scorn. She was big around, like a barrel. She was big and red and ugly. I don't like that woman, and I guess Bertha had a right to run away from her. Jessie and Amy looked at each other and nodded. They had both decided that the girl, Bertha, was the one they had seen in the big French car. And you don't know why Bertha was afraid? Asked Jessie. I don't know. She just wrote me, I can read writing, that she was coming to see me at Foley's and she never come. Of course, you did not hear anything about her when you searched up and down the boulevard the other day? Amy asked. There weren't many of them who would answer my questions, said the child gloomily. Some of them shooed me out of their yards before I could ask. Amy's eyes filled with tears as she looked at the tiny, thin girl. Aren't you hungry? she asked. Ain't I hungry? scoffed Henrietta. Ain't I always hungry? Mrs. Foley says I'm as empty as a drum. She can't fill me up. That's how I came over here today. Because she didn't give you enough to eat? demanded Amy. Ah, she'd give it to me if she had it. But the kids gotta be fed first, ain't they? And when you got six of them... It is quite understandable, dear, Jessie said with more composure than her friend could display at the moment. So you came over here to pick strawberries. Got a pail half full down there somewhere. The thunder scared me. Then I saw you twos up here and I thought for sure the Carter ghost was you. Let's have some lunch, cried Amy quickly. She got up and began to bustle about. She opened the two boxes that had been brought and set the vacuum bottle of hot cocoa on the bench. There were two cups and she insisted upon giving one of them to Henrietta. I don't believe I could drink a drop or eat a morsel, she said to Jessie. Amy insisted upon giving Henrietta the bulk of her own lunch and all the tidbits she could find in Jessie's lunchbox. The freckle-faced girl began systematically to fill up the hollow with which she was accredited. It was evident that the good food made Henrietta quite forget her problems. The rain continued to fall torrentially. The thunder muttered almost continually, but in the distance, again and again, the lightning flashed. Jessie Norwood fed the fire on the hearth until the warmth of it could be felt through the farther end of the big old kitchen. She and Henrietta were fast becoming dried, 
and their outer clothing could soon be put on again. I wonder if Mumsy was scared when the storm broke, thought Jessie. She thinks the aerial may attract lightning. Nothing like that, declared Amy cheerfully. But I wish we had a radio sending set here and could talk to her. <gasps> What's that? Even Henrietta stopped eating, looked upward at the dusty ceiling, and listened for a repetition of the sound. It came in a moment. A sudden thump. Then the thrashing about of something on the bare boards of the floor of the loft over the kitchen. Oh! squealed Amy, jumping up from the table. What can it be? demanded Jessie Norwood. Henrietta took another enormous bite of sandwich. From behind that barrier, she said in a muffled tone, Guess those stories might be true after all. <laughs>